We're in our Lucan series, and we come to the resurrection passage. Turn your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. The Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. Death likes to rob us of those who are most dear to our hearts. There is, perhaps... No more wrenching word that can be said than the word dead. In fact, I'm amazed at all the euphemisms that we have concocted in order not to have to say that someone is dead. Sometimes we say they have fallen asleep. Sometimes we say they've expired or we've lost them or they have left or they have passed away or They didn't make it, quote, unquote. We'll say almost anything to avoid the four-letter word, perhaps the worst four-letter word in all the English vocabulary, dead, D-E-A-D, dead. We hate the word because death is a thief. A horrid thief. It robs us of the tender touch of someone that we love dearly. It robs us from sharing a smile with our daughter. Feeling the warmth of our husband or our wife. Knowing the security of the generation before us, our parents. There are lost embraces. Conversations that never get to be exchanged because of the thief of death. Dead. It's an awful word, dead. And it robbed a group of disciples of their Savior and of their Lord. They were stunned. How could it have happened? They knew that following Jesus was certainly a risk. There had been some close calls before, Unwelcome political uprisings were often brutally put down. But this man, this man had walked on water. There were eyewitnesses. The lame were leaping and the blind were seeing. A great following had developed around him. Why, the city was all abuzz just a week earlier celebrating Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as if he were as if he were some sort of king. Hosanna, Hosanna, palm branches waving and the trees themselves clapping their hands. Hosanna. The disciples could still hear the proclamation ringing, echoing in their ears, resonating in their hearts. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. With a loud voice, they were praising God for all the miracles that they had seen Jesus do with the works of his hands. Stop the blasphemy, the Pharisees shouted. Your disciples are saying you're some sort of Messiah. Make them stop right now. Why, I tell you, if if my followers do not 
acclaim me, the stones themselves will cry out. The week, this week had started so absolutely wonderfully. How could they have ever anticipated or predicted such a, a dreadful ending, a horrible death, a crucifixion of their rabbi? Now look at him. The one who entered the city as a king is now hanging on that awful cross. His back was shredded from the flogging. His face was beaten by their fists. His brow was pierced by the thorns. The nerves and ligaments in his wrists and in his ankles were torn by rough spikes. And as if in a horrid fashion, to write the end to the end of the story, they had seen a soldier step up with a spear and rupture Jesus' internal organs with a butcherous stab. They left no doubt. He was dead. They were empty. Death leaves us so empty, so angry, so shocked. It really never makes sense, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense at all. The disciples were stunned, stunned by the silence of death. And we too sometimes are left in the deepest despair that death delivers. So many of you have been robbed this year and recent years in particular by death. For you this morning, the story about death and how empty and grief-filled it leaves you is, doesn't take much imagination. You know how the disciples felt when the one that they love the very most is snatched away or the one that loves you the very most is suddenly and surprisingly absent. You know the emptiness, the loneliness, the despair that accompanies the enemy of death. As they hurt, you hurt. I'm happy to say this morning that the story of Jesus, as we see in Luke 24, does not end with the cross. The conclusion of the story does not end at the tomb. The storm that occurred during the crucifixion had ended and the blackness had turned to the light of the day and the earth itself had ceased its seizures. And all for a moment was still. All three bodies hung motionless for some time. Two men and their servants approached the centurion. They showed their official papers. They had claims to take down the body in the middle. They went up to Jesus' cross. They used those huge iron pinchers, and they braced themselves on the base of the cross. It was bloody, dirty work, but they pulled out the spike from his ankles. And then they could lower the cross beam down to the ground with his slowly stiffening body still attached. 
It's gruesome work, prying the other two spikes out of each of his wrists and then pulling them all the way out of his wrists. But eventually, the work was done. These were two members of the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin. They'd shown some sympathy towards Jesus before. They quickly and hurriedly wrapped Jesus' body in a clean linen cloth and carried the body away. And the one named Joseph, Joseph from Arimathea, he had a tomb that had been hewn out of the side of the little garden. No one had ever used that tomb before. He gave up his own burial place. The burial place of his family was to be. And Jesus' body was placed on the little shelf there in the garden tomb. Just a little tomb outside the city limits. Now the women, Mary of Magdala, Mary, the mother of James and others, they washed as the men hurried in and out of the tomb. The sun was setting, Sabbath was approaching, the long strips of cloth in which the body was to be buried was a custom. It all had to be done in haste. They were trying to beat the sunset since Sabbath was approaching and no work. It would be left undone if they didn't hurry. They had to get it done before the Sabbath. And so the women decided that after the Sabbath had passed, they would come back themselves and make sure the body was properly anointed with all the customary spices. So I can say with some confidence that at least for 2,000 years, we know that women have been redoing men's work when the men leave in haste. Probably longer than that, but I can testify to 2,000 years. Now the body lay mummy-like on the stone shelf along the wall. With the Sabbath approaching, there wasn't a moment to spare. The men, with the help of the soldiers, pushed the stone. They leveraged it into place. They headed back to the city, followed by the women who had watched from a distance. Now, it's supposed to be a holiday, a festival time to celebrate the Passover Sabbath with your, well, with your friends and family. Some holiday, nobody was in the mood for celebrating, shocked, disbelief, stunned, trying to figure out how it all went wrong, trying to figure out when it went wrong. It all had happened in a week. Everything was good just a week before with Hosanna. They were trying to think in their mind like you do after a tragedy like this. What could I have done differently? What could we have done differently? How could we have stopped this grotesque crucifixion? For the week that started with blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord had ended with the shouts of crucify him. Crucify him. To make sure there's no foul play Pilate placed a contingent of Roman soldiers to guard the tomb to make sure that no one in any way could ever tamper with the tomb. The Sabbath, Saturday passed without any incident. And just before sunrise, on the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, the women gathered up their spices and they slipped out to the gate of the city. It would open at dawn 
They'd hoped to get to the tomb to add the spices to make sure the burial of their Lord was proper and slip back into the city before anybody came along asking questions. Jesus' mother, Mary, was emotionally and physically exhausted from watching the crucifixion of her son. Could you imagine? Finally, somewhere that morning, Mary fell asleep. And John watched the women's silhouettes as they made their way to the tomb, and perhaps he reflected on the therapeutical value of having something to do. He was glad that Jesus, while crucified, had looked to him and said, take care of my mother. At least he still had a purpose. As they approached the little garden outside the wall of Jerusalem, to their great surprise and dismay, they saw the tomb stood open. It was empty. Even as they were pondering in their perplexity, two men stood near them in dazzling apparel. And just like angels had announced the glad tidings of the birth of this Jesus at Bethlehem, God sent some celestial beings to bring the women the tidings that he had risen from the dead. Every time in Scripture, where a divine messenger comes in contact with humanity, in reverence, these women do the predictable. They bow their heads, do not look upon the angels, respect and reverence. And the angels tell the ladies... You should have known better. That's the essence of what they said. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why are you looking for a living person to be abiding in the graveyard? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still alive in Galilee, saying that he must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and they were to be crucified? He told you time and time again on the third day he would arise. Indeed, as we went through Luke's gospel, we saw time and time again he says, they're going to hand me over. I will die, but I will rise. Don't you remember? Look at verse 6. He is not here. But he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you and told you these things must be. Look at verse 8. And they remembered. It's a gentle rebuke. Ladies, didn't you know better? Why are you looking for a living one in the graveyard? You should have known surely that he who is life himself would never remain in prison by the powers, the mere powers of death. Jesus had told his disciples time and time again in Luke's gospel, I'm going to die, but don't lose heart. I will rise again. Yes, those ladies should have known better. 
They should not have arrived that morning seeking to bury a body when they had a living Lord. He told them three days, it was a third day. And we should know better too. We should know that death cannot defeat those who follow the Lord of the resurrection. For as Paul tells us that even as Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, that all who call Jesus Lord shall surely follow. And as Christ has been victorious over death, those who believe in him will likewise be victorious too. Death has been defeated. The death that comes to your home. Death that visits your family and robs you of that living, loving relationship that you have. It is ultimately, absolutely powerless in light of the resurrection of Jesus. As Paul will write years later, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that because of the resurrection, your toll, O church, is not in vain. Death has been defeated in Christ. The divine creatures give the greatest proclamation of all the ages. He is not here. He has risen. When they declared that Jesus had risen from the dead, they declared that we can be a people of hope and not a people of despair. When they declare that Jesus has risen from the dead, they declare that those who love him don't have to be afraid anymore. For ultimately, nothing can separate from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, nothing. Not even death itself. When they declare that he has risen from the dead, they are saying, grieve with Paul if you must, but do not grieve as those who have no hope. For the Son of God, the resurrected Son of God, will come down from heaven, the voice of our archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then should any of us remain until the coming of the Lord, we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What they're saying is this, that we will be forever in the kingdom of God with those who profess the Lordship of Christ. When they said, he is not here, he is risen, they might as well have said, sleep well tonight, ladies. Your Lord is living. He is in control. God is still on his throne. There is nothing at all to bring you despair. One of my good friends was in another city, travels a lot. I would say that this friend is a student of people. When he meets someone, he has really strong people skills. He strikes up a conversation with these. And before you know it, he's interviewing you. Trying to see if there's any proverbial wisdom or lessons to be learned from your life that he could apply to his own life. That's really smart. There's two ways to get life education. 
You can learn from the mistakes and mishaps of others and successes of others, or you can make all those mistakes yourself and pay the tuition. He's like to ask people, what would you do different? What have you learned in life? Just having a conversation, seeking some wisdom. And he's truly interested in the people he talks to. He struck up just one of those casual conversations talking to a young lady whose husband happened to be an engineer and she was the chief financial officer at a major, major retail entity. As the conversation unfolded, she told him she was the oldest of eight children in her family and she had two children, a boy and a girl, ages 12 and nine in her own family. And finally, as we all should, at the right time, he brought the conversation around and said, well, where do you go to church? Oh, uh, kind of sheepishly, she said, we just avoided the church thing with our kids. She grew up, she said, where church was really, really heavy large dose of fear based theology, whether the wounds were her fault or imagined or the church's fault, I don't know, but they were there. And so she had just, quote, avoided the church thing with her kids. Oddly enough, this family had just experienced the death of her mother-in-law, the grandmother to the two grandchildren. And she had to explain to her own children about the death of their grandmother. And by now, the conversation, there's a trusted friendship, as one can make friendship quickly in an airport. In a moment of honesty, when she was comfortable, she said, speaking to my children about the death of their grandmother, quote, I really, I really just didn't know what to say. Well, I'm sure she could have remembered from her days in church the story I just told you about the empty tomb of Jesus. But somehow, from the distance of the community of the living Lord, being distant from the church that is the body of those who proclaim the resurrection, she had lost the message of hope. And quite honestly, she, she really didn't know what to say. How do you comfort your children? when their grandmother has just died and you have no words to give ultimate hope. When you find yourself away from the church, the community of those that die with Christ and rise with Christ, when you find yourself distant from the only people on earth who can face with courage and confidence death, you don't know what to say. For in losing the church, you lose the answer to the only question that matters. In losing the church, you lose the answer to the only question that matters. What's next? For those who follow the living Lord, we say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked. In case someone didn't believe it, he died and rose again to prove it. Ladies, ladies, why have you come to the graveyard to find a man who told you that this very day he would be alive? He has risen. He is not here. Just like he told you. Don't you remember? Can you remember? Let us pray. Oh God, it's the only story that matters. All of the stories are subordinate to this story this morning. The crucifixion is nothing without the resurrection. What we have before us is not the story of an empty tomb of one rabbi, but rather the beginning of the age of the resurrection that all who call him Lord shall share in his empty tomb. As Paul says, if you're going to die with him, you'll rise with him. If you're going to suffer with him, you'll be glorified with him. Oh God, perhaps there's someone here this morning either live stream or television or in this great sanctuary who could not be sure in her heart or his heart. And maybe it's her day or his day to call Jesus Lord and to say, I'm a sinner and I want his death to be my death on that cross for my sins. And I want his glorious resurrection to ensure my eternal life. It's as available today as it was to those two ladies 2,000 years ago. For if we die with him, we rise with him. In his name we pray. Amen.